0: Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. As any art lover will tell you, paintings can be beautiful. They can be emotional, moving, and deeply important to history and culture. But they can also be brutal, unsettling, even visceral. A good example of this is the work of Italian painter Caravaggio. Born in Milan in 1571, he was orphaned after both his parents died of the plague. He moved to Rome in 1595 and began selling paintings to support himself. Caravaggio rose to fame as one of the most unique artists of the Baroque era. He was particularly well-known for his use of light. The backgrounds of his paintings tended to be very dark, serving as a stark contrast to the yellow-lit characters in the forefront. Many of his pieces centered around religious and mythological imagery, and he didn't shy away from the uglier aspects of these stories. For example, one of his most famous works is titled Head of Medusa. It's painted on a circular wooden shield, and it shows the serpent-headed woman with her face contorted in a scream of fury and terror. But here's the real kicker. Medusa's head isn't connected to anything. It's cut off at the neck, In the bottom of the picture is a huge theatrical spray of blood-red paint. Now, if you look at Caravaggio's catalog, you'll find that decapitation is actually a pretty common theme. He painted one canvas called Judith Beheading Holofernes and another called The Beheading of St. John the Baptist. I'm sure you don't need any more details about those. Clearly, Caravaggio had a flair for the dramatic and the, uh, violent in his art. But what most people don't know is the same held true in his real life. You see, Caravaggio was a scoundrel of the absolute worst variety. Between 1598 and 1601, when he was in his late 20s, he got into legal trouble on at least two occasions. Once for carrying a sword without a permit, and once for beating a man with a stick. He was also accused of attacking a different man with the aforementioned sword, although apparently that charge was never proven. A couple of years later, when the painter was in his early 30s, he developed a somewhat problematic relationship with another artist, Giovanni Baglioni. While many of the details have been lost to history, we do know one thing for sure. In 1603, Caravaggio wrote a poem mocking Baglioni's art, and the things he said were so cruel and inappropriate, I cannot and will not repeat them here. Baglioni, of course, was furious. He sued his rival artist for libel and won. Caravaggio spent two weeks in jail as a result. But his bad behavior didn't stop there. Over the next three years, he went to court for a number of reasons, some of which are honestly just bizarre. Again, he was caught carrying a sword without a permit. He threw rocks at one police officer and cursed at another. Once at a restaurant, he threw an entire plate of artichokes into a waiter's face. And the icing on top of the cake he was six months behind on rent, and his landlady was threatening to seize all of his furniture as payment. As if his life couldn't become any more of a mess, in 1606, a painter made his worst decision yet. He killed a man named Renuccio Tommasoni. Now, the circumstances of the murder, which happened over 400 years ago, are now unclear. An autopsy showed that Renuccio bled out through a cut in his femoral artery, which runs through the upper leg. Some historians believe the men got into a bar fight or brawled after a tennis match, or even battled over a woman. Either way though, the result was the same. Caravaggio, who let blood flow so freely in his paintings, now had literal blood on his hands. He fled Rome in the hopes of evading prison time. And for the next four years, it's believed that he lived in various small towns throughout Italy. He died in 1610. Although again, it's not quite clear what killed him. It could have been syphilis, an infected wound, or even lead poisoning. But however the artist's life ended, his legacy lives on. Now, four centuries later, most people don't know about Caravaggio's personal life. Instead, they know the iconic look of his paintings, which are still on display in churches and museums throughout Italy and the rest of the world. If you're lucky enough to ever see one in person, remember that the man behind the canvas wasn't just a brilliant artist. He was also a notorious criminal. to start living yours. Let's get into it. With AT&T In-Car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. It's hard to think about 20th century literature without thinking about the concept of dystopia. A dystopia is a nightmare world, a society rife with suffering and injustice. In the wake of not one, but two world wars, 20th-century authors used fictional dystopian settings to comment on politics, violence, and oppression in the real world. There are two dystopian novels that stand out even today, though—1984 by George Orwell and Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. The two books have some key differences, though. For example, in 1984, people are constantly watched by quote-unquote Big Brother, and they can be jailed by the so-called Thought Police. The oppressive rules of the society are enforced through violence. By contrast, in Brave New World, infants and adolescents are conditioned to accept their place in the social hierarchy. By the time they're adults, people have been effectively brainwashed, plus they're given a constant flow of drugs to keep them happy. There are also quite a few things that the novels have in common. Both feature totalitarian governments that control the lives of their citizens. Both were widely banned because the ideas within them were considered dangerous. And both authors, Aldous Huxley and George Orwell, had a curious, real-life connection. Let's go back to the year 1911. Aldous Huxley was just 17 years old, but he'd been through a lot in his short life. His mother had died three years earlier, and he had recently developed a condition called keratitis. This is inflammation of the cornea, or the outer layer of the eye, and it left Huxley with significantly impaired vision. For much of his life, he'd intended to pursue a career as a medical doctor, but his poor eyesight had now made it impossible. So Huxley made a pretty unclear career shift. Instead of medicine, he decided to study English literature. He enrolled at Oxford University and, as we already know, he soon found that he had quite a knack for writing. In 1916, he graduated and also published his first poetry collection. But as any writer will tell you, jobs are not easy to find. While he worked on building up his resume as an author, he made ends meet by working as a teacher at England's Eton College. Even though it was called a college, it wasn't really a university, though. It was an elite prep school the same place that Huxley himself had gone as a teenager. Huxley spent his days teaching English and French, and, well, let's just say he didn't love it. He had trouble maintaining discipline over his classroom, and he had one student named Eric Blair who was constantly making trouble. Still, Huxley was determined to stick it out. He continued teaching, but spent his evenings hunched over a desk, writing furiously. Between 1917 and 1918, he published two more poetry collections— Finally, in 1919, he was offered a job at a well-known literary magazine. He could finally quit teaching and write full-time. From then on, Huxley wrote at a breakneck pace. He was a bit of a chameleon, too, penning everything from poems and short stories to feature articles. Eventually, he began writing novels, too, and he published Brave New World in 1932 when he was just 38 years old. By the 1940s, Huxley was widely known as one of the most significant authors of the 20th century people looked up to him, which is part of the reason why, in 1949, he received a newly published book in the mail. It was called 1984. George Orwell had requested that his publisher send Huxley a copy. Huxley read it and sent back a thoughtful, although quite critical, note, which began, and I quote, "...agreeing with all that the critics have written of it, I need not tell you yet once more how fine and profoundly important 1984 is." However, after this initial compliment, Huxley picked a fight with the author. He basically said that his own dystopia, the one that he imagined in Brave New World, was much more believable. Huxley wrote as if he had something to teach Orwell. And maybe that's because he used to be his teacher. You see, George Orwell was a pseudonym. His real name was Eric Blair, as in Aldous Huxley's problem student. The two giants of literature had been connected before either of them rose to fame. Which certainly helps explain why their nightmare worlds were so curiously similar. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works.